it, it kind of it, it is part of you know certain aspects of the tech culture um, is this idea that you know progress, technological progress, you know it, that that there's a price and that you know we should be okay. We should approach that as like a utilitarianism thing, and it's like. Well, yeah, like people are going to die, but, you know, it's for this thing that's worth it. And I think that is super problematic, especially as companies that, you know, kind of embrace that idea, get into safety critical technology. Like it's it's not the approach you want to take there. Hello and welcome to the Atonicast. I'm Ed Niedermeyer. I am the communications director at Partners for Automated Vehicle Education and the author of Ludicrous, the Unvarnished Story of Tesla Motors. And I'm Kirsten Techno Queen Korosek, transportation editor over at TechCrunch. And I'm Alex Roy, uh, the director of special operations at Argo AI, whom I do not represent on this show, the founder of the Human Driving Association. And this week, what other title should I pick for myself? Um, uh, master of Bitcoin? No, definitely not Master of Bitcoin. Let's just get right into it. Uh, have you have you all seen the latest Doug DeMuro video on YouTube where he reviews the Mercedes E-Class station wagon? I have. I have because you sent it to me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I... Uh, you know, I've gone back and forth on Doug. I think he's, you know, a lovely entertainer and he's like, you know, <laughs> he's Doug and he's, you know, probably the, our generation's Jay Leno, I guess, mm. uh, without the TV show, but definitely the, he, you can't say the guy doesn't have an audience and he does perform a service. Like he get the quirks and features shtick is important. And I'm not going to drive a lot of these cars. And if I want to know, I, I just watch a Doug video, but man, and I've given I've been unfair to him once or twice. I hit him pretty hard about some factual problems with some of his writings. However, his latest video about the E-Class wagon has a 60-second bit in the middle, which is so wrong. Um, and it's additionally wrong because Doug knows better. He actually, intellectually, he has awareness that what he's saying is wrong. And we should get into it because what he says is that the Mercedes... And I quote, self-driving system is amazing. It's great. And that it's better than Tesla Autopilot. And he then goes into a bit about how it's hands-off for 45 seconds. And that's a good thing. And it, it, it indicates like a lack of understanding, not just about the concept of a ton of, ton of washing and language, but a lack of understanding of what a safe driver assistance system should be like. Because if you go back in time to 2015, the first Tesla... Um, vehicles uh, got the software upgrade and autopilot was enabled. And autopilot is just a driver assistance system that combines lane keeping with radar cruise control. At that time, the hands-off interval was something like 15 or 20 minutes, if I recall correctly. I, I recall it was even longer. And that was extraordinarily unsafe. And I, for a, I, I used it, and I would admit flat out at the time, I abused it to set you know, to set some cross-country records, and that was really irresponsible. And because of crashes like the uh, Josh Crown, the Josh Brown crash, other incidents, Tesla had to reduce the intervals. And today, the interval is, I think fifteen or twenty seconds is the first interval, and that that's for uh, the the that's because of safety issues. So for Doug to even brag about their system being hands off for that long being a good thing is flies in the face of everything we know about just responsibility, safety, and 
Anyway, it's very disappointing. Very disappointing. So, you know, there's one thing if I the the big issue is is that it's basically advertising how consumers can push the bounds of the system of which it wasn't designed to be. Meaning the system is not marketed, advertised, as far as I know, um, or designed to be a hands-free system like Super Cruise and Ford's Blue Cruise, um, which I have not tested that one yet. Um, And in those cases, uh, most of our audience, I think, knows this, but is a cabin in, you know, an in-cabin camera that's facing the driver as a driver monitoring system, which allows the sensor tracks the eyes. And so you have to have your gaze looking forward, but the trade-off or the benefit is you get to have your hands off the wheel. Um, That's not how the system was designed. So basically by talking about this and demonstrating it, he's sort of promoting maybe unintentionally for people to abuse the bounds of the system, like I said, that it wasn't designed to handle, which just is like bad things are going to happen as a result. So I don't think I, so I have to agree with Alex that, that Doug knows better than this. And I know this because uh, a few months back, he called Cadillac Super Cruise self-driving and I engaged with him on Twitter and um, he kind of, you know, to, to just kind of let him, you know, make him aware. Cause I think at that point, maybe he wasn't. And, and he immediately reacted and was sort of like, Oh, this is something that only people on, you know, nerds on the internet care about basically. And, and I got kind of frustrated, um, frankly, and I, I, I did like sort of get more frustrated and, and frankly angry than I, I probably should have, but like, you got a little you would, spice. You got a little, I, I got a little spicy. spicy. It happens. Ed, you never I, do that. Ed, I know. Ever. Like if you know me, you know that this is a You're thing so that happens. You're so chill all the time. I know. <laughs> um, so so, you know, and, and what was interesting about that is that he did, like, I eventually sent him, like, Liza Dix's a ton of washing paper and um, sort of a AAA study I've been sharing a lot um, that shows, you know, how people just talk about this, these systems affects how safely or not they are used. Um, and, and explain, look, this is just the real life and death issues here. And he eventually was like, oh, I didn't really realize. He read the the, the, the articles I sent him and he said, you know, he wasn't happy about how I had engaged, but he said, I get it. And so to see him now going and calling, um, you know, this Mercedes system self-driving, it's so disappointing. I, I think at some point, you know, and, 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 you know, I say this about Tesla all the time. Um, and, and by the way, I mean, like, so there was just a crash on, uh, the other week, uh, a fatal crash and we can talk about this some more, but like, I found the guy's TikTok, the person who died and, and he was posting content saying, calling his, his autopilot self-driving and saying he would use it when he was tired and bored. And like, now he's dead. And this is what people have to understand about this. And this is why I do get angry and I'm working on it, but like <laughs> I get angry because, because this is life and death and people like Doug who have a big audience have a major responsibility, you know, to understand what's at stake here. I'd um, like to, but- I'd like to appeal to Doug's, uh, you know, when you have an audience of that size, you have the option of exercising moral authority or not. And one, and I think Doug's in a, a, a position to exercise enormous moral authority, do the right thing here. And I hope he does. Because if, as we know from the politics of, of recent years, uh, there's a thing like, like called stochastic terrorism. And I think there's a thing here, like there's stochastic safety or stochastic risk 
around using language around technology was inaccurate has like second and third order consequences down the road that we may see in the kids today who believe that technology just is when it isn't. So, and, and rather than just bash on Doug, I think it is really important to kind of point out, sort of, sort of flesh out some of what Kirsten and you were just talking about in terms of, like, I, I think what's going on here, and this is something that Tesla really sort of, you know, established and fostered in, in sort of car buying public, um, and that I think Doug is, is playing into here. I think the fundamental misperception is that the more automated a system, a driver assistance system is or seems the more advanced it is. And it's totally understandable why people think that, right? Like, like there's this, you know, because this isn't happening in a vacuum. This is also happening at a time when self-driving cars are, are coming closer and, and autonomous vehicles of all kinds are coming closer and closer to reality. And so, you know, I think there's this sense that like, you know, if your driver assistance system is, is again, either is or seems a little bit more automated than others, uh, and requires less input from the driver than others, that that makes it more advanced. But in reality, and like maybe we should have like Michael Clayman or Michael Neese or, or Missy Cummings back on the show because I did a, a session with them that was just so informative for me last year uh, uh, with Pave. And and like it was it was about the fact that no, like like if you if you design an ADAS to be as automated as possible, then what you do is you force the human into a monitoring role. And humans are bad at that. And what you actually want to do is not just automate as much as possible and force the human to cover the rest, but to really develop the system around what the human is good at and what it's not. And, and so that's something that needs to happen on the design side. But I think on the, the consumer side and, and, and folks like Doug and everybody else who talks to consumers and helps shape these, these views need to understand this, that like more automation does not make a driver assistance system better. Mm. Is the premise of that, that, that when you're in a monitoring, when humans are in monitoring mode, that they become bored and not as engaged. Is that the premise behind that? Yeah. And there's a great, um, in fact, I've been reading Laura Major's What to Expect When You're Expecting Robots. Cannot, cannot endorse it enough. Such a good book. It should be mandatorily taught in schools, I believe, in high school or or maybe, maybe early college. uh, Hmm. college. But, but she, there's a, she has a, she has a a comic in there that was from, um, uh, the uh, Apollo program, and it just shows it's two two images of the Apollo ca- or like a space capsule with with astronauts in it, and in one it's it's sort of showing the low automation end of the the spectrum, and um you know the, the astronauts are just like frantically having to do a million things and they're totally overwhelmed and they're not prepared to like handle you know some kind of unexpected event. And that shows sort of the risk of, of too little automation. But then they have also the, the, the too much automation panel right next to it. And the, the astronauts are sitting there bored out of their minds with nothing to do, totally disengaged from what's going on around them, totally without any sense of control or agency over what's happening. And, and so they are also equally unprepared when something unexpected happens to, to engage and, you know, to respond and engage with it and fix it because they're disengaged. And so the, and it's just a beautifully simple way of explaining when you have a human in the loop on an automation system, you, it's all about finding that sweet spot in between those two extremes. Which is why, uh, I, sorry, Alex, I know you want to jump in, but which is why the so-called level three is such a problematic, we think level two or what we're seeing um you know, described as level two is problematic. That handover and the time over the handover 
from the vehicle to the driver is a complicated one. And, you know, you're just, I think that we're going to, once that is deployed, if any automaker actually really truly does do that, uh, I think we're going to have lots of problems because of that issue. If only the the area of startup, uh, I guess, um, focus would move into transition management, which is like somewhere in between driver monitoring systems and cognition and measurement and attention management, like the Cogtech guys talk about. Like, I still feel like there's something beyond DMS that has not yet been, I haven't seen a startup really focusing on it, nailing it. And I feel like there's a a great failure of imagination uh, in terms of what future HMI should look like in vehicles. And that is, without that, you're not, level dual mode vehicles. What is a level three vehicle? It's a vehicle capable of L2 and L4. That's what a level three vehicle is. Mm -hmm. In, In a way, what people think is L3, it has to come after L4 works somewhere. Right. And so for that to occur, you need uh, some kind of HMI systems that probably only exist in a couple of labs and they may not all exist in one place. Until that happens, there's no level three. And anyone who talks about it is just, they're kidding. But can we move on to something fun? Come on. No, 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 hang on. Hang on. I got a couple things. Go ahead. So, no, that is actually a really good point, Alex, because um, in a way, level three, which is basically the Goldilocks version of the perfect passenger vehicle, right? One that can assist you um, here and there, you know, but when you really want to take, let's say your hands off the wheel and have that autonomy piece, it can handle that. It's actually more difficult to achieve in a lot of ways because of the transition, but also because you're folding two two technologies essentially into Mm -hmm. one. So and that bridge, like all the startups, where are the startups who only do the bridge, the transition management? Where's that? So, so Alex, and I'll, I think the issue with that is that, um, you know, that piece, the piece in between the human and the automation, it requires equal depth of understanding and insight into both sort of the assistance technology, which is this incredibly complex field that requires a lot of specialization, but then also behavioral psychology, which is like not just its own incredibly complex and specialized sort of field, but 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 they're totally different. They have very little in common. Um, and I think the one other thing, and, and so I think that's one of the reasons, right? And and But I think that's okay because one of the coolest things about driving automation and, and at all levels is that it really does require sort of multidisciplinary folks to get together. And this is why nomenclature and stuff is so important is so people can speak to each other across these disciplinary lines. But I wanted to just say one more thing about what Kirsten was saying about level three, which is that, you know, I think that provides a real sense of urgency to this issue. I mean, there's already should be a sense of urgency because people are dying. But I think that, you know, right now we have the, the luxury of saying no car on the road is autonomous. And and that's a really easy like it, the the challenge of all this is simplifying the message into a, into something that the public can understand. And right now we can do that by saying no car that you can buy today is autonomous, and that it's that simple. As soon as we start having level three vehicles on the market, you know, then we have to be like, well, okay, you know, there's these conditional autonomy vehicles, and how they're implemented are totally you know going to be different from from case to case, and 
And so I think we need to take advantage of this opportunity we have now to really make as much impact as we can on on the public's understanding of this. If I had to read, if, if I had to start the level system, if I had to write the levels today, so knowing what we know about human behavior, level two would remain what it is. Level four would be level three. It's a vehicle that can has an ODD of some kind in which it is autonomous. It can be limited. And level four would be a vehicle whose driver assistance tells you how good it is. And it, you can take it anywhere you want, but it's assisted and it tells you how good it is. And level five would be a dual mode vehicle. Like that's how I would define them because mm. that's what everybody wants. A vehicle that's as safe as can be everywhere uh, you might take it and is capable of autonomy wherever autonomy works and everywhere else. Eh. <laughs> anyway, uh, that's yeah, a whole, that's a different, the other thing that, that folks should look at if they want to um, sort of look at, at some of the ways people are trying to break through this problem is um, edge case research, Phil Koopman's uh, uh, a user's guide to vehicle automation modes. Um, and actually, I just bought a bunch of swag from their online store. I had no idea you can get their little chart. And I think it's 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 not like so simple that, you know, we can just take that and put it in front of the entire public, I don't think. But it is a really helpful way for those of us who do have a little more understanding to kind of you know, have a, a rubric that's not just the level system. Um, and I think it actually, from a user perspective, it's it's much better than the level system. All right, so, so now I'd like to jump to whatever Kirsten has to say and then change topics. Kirsten? Okay, well, I, I do want to get just touch briefly on the problem of terminology as more companies, um, not just the U.S., but particularly in China, uh, the descriptions that they use for their ADAS systems are wild. And, you know, I, I know that there are people who are listening or maybe some of the like critics of the Atonicus out there who like eye roll every single time we talk about things like safety, like, oh, you guys are so uptight. There is this ethos that I think that happens in the world of tech in which it's like, just let's put it out there and see what happens. And I know not everyone's like that. But I think that's a big problem around uh, kind of augmented by Tesla's um, autopilot and people's experience around that, which is they don't want to be hamstrung. They don't want to be limited. Um, everyone's being too uptight about it. It's not that big of a deal. Let's use terminology loosely. We all know what we mean, really. And that's a mistake. Um, and so, uh, yeah, maybe we're being uptight, but there are real consequences to that. And I think you can it's really- It's okay to be uptight when people are dying. Yeah. Like, right, right. But I mean, I think that there is a resistance to that because of this. I mean, it's the reason why when we both were in autopilot, testing autopilot early days and then got in Alex's um, in in the uh, Cadillac to test Super Cruise in LA, we immediately were like, this is a great, this is a great system, but no one's going to use it because it's so restrictive. And it's- it. I mean, also, no one uses it because it was only in one model for, you know, ever. Um, but in China, it's very, I'm very curious to see how the government is going to react and deal with the wild terminology that's being used and claims. Um, but that when you really push them on it, it's, it's essentially adaptive cruise and lane keeping. Um, it, it is not driverless. It is not autonomous. It is not. What is it? What What's the favorite one, Ed, that we have? Not autonomous. Well, there was the, – I, I saw something that was driverless self-driving. It was talking about yeah. the Xiaoping. And and I was actually just looked for it yesterday, and I couldn't find it. And so, like, maybe 
they adios it and and are you know maybe they're maybe they're starting to get it but like guys yeah we're spending a lot of time on this it's an well, important, it's an important. Topic, Alex. yeah yeah but so we can we move can... on what else what else do you want to talk about you you were the one who brought up doug demuro and by the way i think to our listeners, like this is not just a Tesla issue, right? We've talked a lot about this issue in the context of Tesla. I think there's a lot of people out there who think that like Atana washing has been created just so that, you know, we'll have something to bash Tesla with. Actually, I think it's that not. Doug may just have done Mercedes Benz, a car, a company he likes and may have made a car he loves a great disservice because if someone, if a Tesla stand goes out and gets a new E-Class and does something in it, you t- based on what Doug just said, and there's a lawsuit, everyone's getting dragged into this, including Mercedes, who already had to back off when the FTC hit them in 2016 for this exact statement. Doug is basically just stuck the ice pick in Mercedes Benz's face. But this is a perfect segue to, and I know Atonicast uh, is supposed to be a nice show with decent people who are fair and kind, but this schmuck, I think, is that a legal term? This guy you, who, uh, this uh, kid mm. with Instagram who took his Tesla out, sat in the back, and with his foot, which very dangerously, I guess, tapped the uh, torque sensor in the wheel to, to ride around to the back of his Tesla, who got arrested for it. And then after he got out, bought another Tesla, did it again, and read stories about himself being arrested and released on bail from the back seat again. And there was an interesting thread on Twitter um, but a, 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 I think a fight between Tesla fans, um, some of whom said that this guy, that that Elon Musk should disable this kid's autopilot. And then other fans who said that absolutely not. He owns that autopilot. It's his. It's not an option. It comes standard in the car. It, it, it's the job of the government to deal with this. And it's almost it's incredible to me that. The two sides are, are they're, they're, that the Tesla fans are on both sides of this argument. It seems very obvious to me that <laughs> that based on the terms of service of the car, that uh, the the that Tesla could disable that autopilot. And uh, when you buy a you know, Microsoft Office, uh, you, it, it's a license to use it, but not to abuse it. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> any thoughts on this? I'd lo- I I hope yeah, that they this. they. It's funny because in a way, these the these Tesla fans have stumbled a little bit into the fringes of the uh, right to repair movement and and sort of the legality about who owns and controls your vehicle and the data within it. So, I mean, they don't, I don't, obviously it's about this guy and, but it is a much bigger issue. And it's, it's an issue that is going to become more and more complicated as automakers, which had once had created these little silos or completely owned all the data, right? So the Teslas of the world, but they're inviting third-party apps in, they're changing the underlying operating system. So who owns the data and how can it be used? Can it be shared with the government? For example, if you have an in-cabin, um, you know, driver-facing camera, for instance, um, can you modify your vehicle and or can you fix it? Um, and when you abuse a system, whose right is it to take the control over that? Um, I don't think anyone really wants the feds or s- some state government to get involved in a personally owned vehicle. But at the same time, you know, yeah. Regulation already exists, you know, right. consumer or public protections exist. The thing, here's the thing with this guy, like on the one hand, I feel like, you know, 
it, it, it helps sort of clarify like how, what a problem this is and like how badly people misunderstand the technology and also just like the, the kind of arrogance of like, you know, Oh, I'll do it again. And like, I did nothing wrong even after spending a night in jail and like, it just very, but but the uh, the other side of it that that does worry me is that he's also so hateable that like it, it it makes the problem out to be individuals. And while in some cases clearly like yes, individuals are you know very clearly making terrible terrible choices, like it is important to recognize that that's not the only problem here. That there's also problems with the design of the of autopilot. And with the way that Tesla communicates about it and all of these things interplay and the fact that they don't, when things like this happen, that they don't even make statements, you know, yeah, Tesla this is a company that disown this. I mean, me of, of, of being a short seller, right. With no evidence. So they can do that when they don't like a story, which by the way was factual, but they can't, they can't go out and just say like, like it's a freaking tweet. That's all it takes. Like each time a story like this breaks, like at the absolute minimum, you know, you could do a tweet about it. And I'm not saying that would fix it or it would be enough, but it would be a sign that they care a little bit. And like the fact that they won't even do that to me really illustrates like, you know, they want this happening. Well, I. We should I talk about they, something far more important than human well, hang lives. On, hang on. I have, I have one more thing I want to end because I just, the, the, the NHTSA just announced yesterday, I think, and it'll have been a couple of days ago when this airs, but. Um, that they're investigating that crash in Fontana, California. Right, and that yeah, I saw that. Hendrickson, yeah. right? Is that the guy's name? Hendrickson was the is the name of the guy who died. It's sad because he looks like he. I mean, you know, uh, that he he was a big Tesla fan, and yeah. you know, I don't want to make the mistake a lot of people made last time, which was speculating lacking information on based on the last crash that occurred in Texas. Uh, but there's been a um, what's it called uh, profound silence and lack of curiosity from my fellow tesla fans about this one and i fear that this may be the example that the last crash wasn't of of worst case scenario in terms of misunderstandings i i mean that last crash the the piece of information that's missing regarding the texas crash is what happened in the 15 minutes between the security cam video of the two men getting in including the owner of the vehicle into the driver's seat and the impact um because i suspect that there's still more to be learned at uh, about that story that is not going to be good. But this particular, this new crash, this Hendrickson incident uh, is really tragic because there's these videos on TikTok and other social of him with his son, you know, hands off in the Tesla. And I know because I've done some things that I probably shouldn't have done in my own Tesla that I would never do if anyone else was in the car uh, ever, uh, my daughter or any anyone that I love. Anyway, um, uh, there's more to be learned. Yeah. Uh, and it, I've got, uh, I don't have an unlimited amount of time today. And there's something I really want to talk about, which is not fully on topic. And it is Elon Musk's SNL appearance. Now, I, I would prefer not to judge Elon Musk by the standard of, of, uh, of comedy, because there's a lot, lot <laughs> this episode carried a lot of water. <laughs> but I would like to say flat out that two things deeply offended me. The first one was the skit about Iceland. Did, did you watch this episode? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Like I, I, I thought I thought it, it was a very it was a badly written skit skit like and just like conceptually weak, but I thought he did a good job in it. I thought his the physical humor of his character and stuff was actually to me kind of Well, funny. it's like Dieter from Sprockets, right? Yeah, like, yeah, that's, exactly. That's really, yeah, okay. It, but anyone who's been to Iceland, like I mean if 
the most accurate portrayal of Iceland in a comedic through a comedic lens by far is <laughs> your Iceland, favorite movie is the movie Fire Saga um, Eurovision Song Competition, which is both funny and loving towards the fine people of Iceland. And there are not many of them relative to the rest of the world, but they deserve love and respect for their decency and their great like, self-awareness. And boy, the SNL writers should not be welcomed back to Iceland. It was uh, kind of mean-spirited. It was really mean-spirited and like dumb and like 1968 ignorant level uh, of comedy. Uh, the other one that kind of uh, I thought was weird um, was this SpaceX one, which a lot of people seem to like. And I get the joke that SpaceX is allowing like civilians up to go, you know, taking civilians to Mars and that this, I guess the conceit is that this schmuck could go up and like, you know, get into space. Uh, fans of the TV show for all mankind. Have you seen that show? Mm-mm. No. So that show had that exact scenario. I was the season closer uh, and it came out about three weeks ago. I'm pretty sure the SNL people just saw that and decided to make a joke of it where two astronauts have to go outside on a suicide mission to save the base and whatever. And, you know, SNL made a joke of that. But the one line that I just really, really rubbed me the wrong way and the timing was off. And I, I really want, wanted to give Elon Musk the benefit of a doubt in this episode was uh, his final line of the skit was, well, I said people were going to die. I, I thought that was, you know, in bad taste. And comedy is meant to be in bad taste. I like some really offensive com- comedy. But that just, and especially given that what's happened recently with the Tesla crash, it's just it rubbed me the wrong way. Anyway. Hmm, I agree. I agree. I think that, I think that. Of course you agree, Ed. Well, no, I mean, it's something that he's talked about, but like, like it's this attitude and we see it a lot, you know, mostly within like Tesla fans, but others, it, it kind of it, it is part of, you know, certain aspects of the tech culture um, is this idea that, you know, progress, technological progress, you know, it, that, that there's the a eggs. price and that, you know, we should be okay. We should approach that as like a utilitarianism thing. And it's like, well, yeah, like people are going to die, but you know, it's for this thing that's worth it. And I think that is super problematic, especially as companies that, you know, kind of embrace that idea, get into safety critical technology. Like it's, it's not the approach you want to take there. But you know what I loved about the episode was he said, it's a hustle. Yeah. that was. Oh, right. So, so I want to go back to the Mars one because actually what I (laughs) maybe wasn't intended, but I kind of felt like it was uh, a perfect anecdote of how uh, Tesla's autopilot has been released on beta and like basically we're all guinea pigs in Elon Musk's world, except for instead of Mars, it's just on our home planet and on city streets, which is, you know, just any old person, not a trained safety driver at an autonomous vehicle company can just get in and like experiment and do dumb things like pull his helmet off in an environment in which, you know, a suboptimal reaction occurs and your head explodes um, in that, in that space scenario or that skit. But it's like, just apply that to how Tesla's have um, or specifically how autopilot navigate on autopilot has been sort of tested and released out into the world. It's kind of the same basic concept. So I, I doubt that that was the intention, but to me, that's what I was thinking about. I wasn't thinking about like, mortality in space because i think everyone expects like when we start going out to those regions people will potentially die but i kind of brought it more home yeah 
he also made a joke in the in the in the monologue about like you know kill someone once and all of a sudden you're a murderer or whatever i don't remember the exact thing it was but an like, oj simpson a, joke oh that's right yeah yeah yeah, yeah that's that right just, it was oj just totally off but maybe we're a little too inside baseball to that we see everything that way uh but the snl writers you know <laughs> there they'll, they'll well, always be snl writers i thought the dogecoin thing at, at alex as you mentioned that yeah. him saying that dogecoin and the bit was That's you know they thing. kept asking on weekend update what is but what is dogecoin but what is dogecoin like and and ultimately it's like oh it sounds like a hustle and elon's like yeah it's it's a hustle yeah, i love and that like, <laughs> it, it, honestly like like comedy at its best like uncovers the truth and i think that that was that's what made that funny and and what's especially funny to me is that you know what is full self-driving like we still well, don't that would have been I, I have sources yeah. sources have told me that like internally they don't have a final spec there's no you know typically when you do have an engineering program you set this is the final spec and obviously there are variations on this but like is the traditional way and and you work until you hit that spec right that's that's how engineering is kind of supposed to work and like there's no final spec for full self-driving and so i think like what that skit provided that was the the blueprint for how every journalist should cover full self-driving mm-hmm. what is it what is it what is it sounds like a hustle uh, you because know it is uh, well it's a classic it's the classic like tesla's position essentially is is that we don't know but we'll tell you when when it is right so i've got a column uh coming up about uh level five and i think if i'm trying to remember my own line because you know i like quoting myself is uh you know there's a uh there's a word for level five humans. It's called idiot <laughs> it's because level five humans, are the ones who don't know where they shouldn't go and get into trouble. Uh, and there's no such thing as level five human. There's just people who are willing to take risks. Other people aren't willing to take. And the ones that make it are called heroes. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you, you know, whatever I do an overlanding trip every summer and that's like level five and it's, yeah, there's risks involved with that, but they're like, you know, you can enter into those risks uh, uh, consciously, but yeah, but I just don't want. I don't want to. I, there's no technology I want deciding whether or not to take those risks. That's where I want it to end, and I want to go. And that's why I'd, I I want to see level four blanket the world the way a cell phone map does, and wherever it doesn't go, that's where I want to go myself. Okay, so we have a couple minutes left. Um, I know Alex is has, he's getting he's getting anxious uh, anxious here uh, as he does. Uh, so, but I just, before we go, um, you know, we've been talking a little bit uh, amongst ourselves about um, the show and just sort of, you know, the last year and everything. And, and you know, with things sort of people getting vaccinated and life coming back to normal, um, I think we all kind of want to really, uh, uh, you know, do some, do some fun new things uh, with this show and discuss some fun new topics. So um, I think we're going to each maybe uh, uh, try kind of like pitching uh, some ideas to each other about, about, about what we should discuss. So, um Okay. So I'll I'll go first. I'll keep it real short. So the premise of the Atonicast, or maybe what it ended up becoming, is that um, we kind of learned along the way and asked some really, I think, good, tough questions that sources have later told me, who you know are founders and autonomous vehicle companies, that we we're we sure we're close to um, we were right on in a lot of cases, and and we're very close in others, and we're on the right track. And so I kind of want to do that again with another piece of the future of transportation. And one is EV tolls. And I know that you both are going to roll your Uh eyes. I can see it. But here's the deal. Like, I have not taken them seriously at all. I've been like, it's a glorified helicopter, you know, and I've, 
I, I had some strong feelings about it. And it's a reason why the TechCrunch Mobility event has not had EVTOL's like panel or founder really on. We had one person from Uber Elevate once. But um, this year, we're going to have uh, Joe Ben Beavert on from Joby Aviation. And I just feel like the how I felt back in 2015 around autonomous vehicles. There's something coming. It's still far off, but it's now worth kind of digging in and investigating and talking about it. And so that's my that's my pitch. I, I think that we should have some some EV tolls exploration occurring on the Atomicast. Yeah. So we're going to have to dedicate like a whole episode to this because I am definitely in the EV tool skeptic camp. And um, I love that you're optimistic about something that I'm not. And I want to I want to I, I want to hash this out with you. Uh, my uh, my pitch is that I've been seeing a lot of people say that, you know, screw autonomous vehicles. We should invest in public transit. I agree with the last part of that. But um, and, and I've been doing a lot of learning myself lately on sort of the role automation can play with transit. And I actually think there's a lot of really cool, exciting stuff uh, that that has potential there and um, that, that people don't, aren't really aware of. So um, I think we might uh, uh, do some uh, do something on that. Alex, what's yours? Uh, I, I, I've made fun of this for a long time. Um, but if you take an extremely long view, there's a use case for it. And a person or two that I respect has said to me, Alex, if you take a long view, there's a use case for it. And so I'm willing to listen. Um, I'm willing to listen. Uh, and with that. No, what's your, what? what's your pitch? What's your what pitch? What is it? Oh, my pitch? We've each, we've each given one. All I want to talk about uh, is, is what a clean sheet interface looked like for driver assistance um, for all the places level four vehicles are not going to be ubiquitous in the next 10 years. What would that look like if we were designing it today? Because I suspect it wouldn't look anything like what we're seeing from any OEM. Uh, I think it would be in some ways the opposite. And I'd like to hear from those companies. I'd like to hear from people outside uh, cars and ground transport and talk about like what, if you were starting from scratch, what would an interface look like for construction equipment or a train or a plane and see what we can learn from that. Hmm. Okay, so those are the three pitches. And so our audience, weigh in, reach out to us, tell us what you like, what you don't like, what you think is full of shit. And uh, we'll probably still talk about it anyway. And uh, so thanks again for listening to another episode of the Atonic House.